We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome, Notre Dame fans, to another edition of the Irish Breakdown Podcast. I'm Vince D'Addario. I'm the football analyst here at Irish Breakdown, and joined with me, as always, is my guy, Brian Driscoll. And uh, we are here to break down the Notre Dame 45-31 to victory over the Boston College Eagles. I think that it probably went about how we expected it to go, that the score is a little bit... Uh, elevated I would say on the defensive side just because Notre Dame put their twos in uh, and Boston College was still playing with their ones Uh, still feel like Notre Dame could have won with their twos but that's a whole other conversation to have but Notre Dame's 8-0 now still number two uh, in the AP so just chugging right along they've got their destiny laid out in front of them Uh, they they you know they control their destiny, which is the important thing. And after the Clemson game, that has been the case throughout. So as long as they win out, they'll be in the ACC championship. And uh, I like their chances from that point forward. So uh, Boston College, a lot of good things happened in Boston College. We're going to start with the offense. We like to flip it around. We started with the defense last week. So we're going to start with the offense this week. Brian, your well, first, I'll let you give me some overall thoughts on the game itself, and then we'll ju- you can you know parlay that right into the offense if you want. I, I think overall the game went, a, like you said, went about how I expected it to go. A little bit more scoring from both sides, uh, a little bit sloppier from Notre Dame offensively than than sure. maybe I thought. I think the I think the biggest takeaway was is that this team is ready for a, a bye, you <laughs> know, and and it's been a. Um, it's been a 
it, it's been a fun couple of weeks. I mean, this team is really playing at a high level, and there's always that balance of you, you play like you did. Do you want to go into the bye week and kind of lose your momentum? Uh, no, but at the same time, this is a team that needs a break. And I, and I think the thing that I like about this team, Vince, that we saw on Saturday against Boston College is, you know, one thing you and I have been talking about for the last few weeks is I, I really like the leadership of this football team. I, I look at this football team and I say, you know, whether it was COVID and uh, whether it was missing the Wake Forest game, whether it's falling behind, you know, struggling against Louisville, offense struggling, defense needs to pick it up. Defense struggling, offense needs to pick it up. There's great leadership on this team. And when you look at this Boston College game, there were a lot of things that happened in this game that you say, boy, that's something that could have been a turning point to maybe cause them to lose the game. And at every turn, sure. no matter how much they were struggling, somebody stepped up and made a play. And it was a different guy at different times. You know, it was, it was you know, the offense fumbled the ball three times, which, you know, is the most they've had lost in the game in, in several years, you know, in fumbles. I mean, they'd lost like, what, two or three all year. I mean, they've, this is becoming a bit of a problem. That's something that's yeah, going to no, need to I get agree. addressed. And then, then you look at it and say, boy, there's some trouble spots there. Well, then the offense fumbles the first time BC takes over at the 19. They had just scored a touchdown and the defense holds forces a field goal. You know, the offense mm -hmm. comes out and, you know, defense uh, it's 31, 16 defense goes down the field. They make a fourth and one stop and the offense responds by, you know, starting to move the ball. Then they fumble defense gets it back. And, you know, three plays later, offense goes down and scores and puts the game away. I mean, there was just kind of that back and forth, and I felt like the thing that you take away from this game is there were a lot of times where things happened this game where two, three, four, five years ago, probably closer to four, three, four, five years ago, I don't know if this game would have gone this direction if this would have happened in the past. Sure. Or I don't know if this – if Notre Dame pulls out and wins by 14, 15 or 14 – uh, in a game where, you know, you, like you said, BC scored in the last couple minutes to make it a little bit more competitive than it really was um, a few years ago. And it just speaks volumes to the leadership of this football team. And that's, that's meant to be a, a compliment to the players. But at the same time, we've seen good leadership on, on the player level where the, it was somewhat stunted by the coaching not do, doing what it needed sure. to be. And I think we saw that too. And as you transition into the, the biggest takeaway from this game was – I was very impressed with what I saw from, from Tommy Reese in this game. And, and there's a couple reasons for that. Number one is we have seen him be very multiple early in games, you know, 11 personnel, yep. 12 personnel, 13 personnel, mixing up formations, motions and, motions and shifts, and, and, you know, bootleg one play, screen the next, play action, running game. We've seen that early. But it's easy to be multiple and diverse early you're when you're script. working off the script. Yeah. You know, you're working on things you've practiced all week. And then as we get deeper into the game, they kind of get off the script and it's back to kind of some tendencies and not being quite as diverse and multiple. And this has been a problem at Notre Dame in the past as well. Uh, what we saw against Boston College, we saw it a little bit against Clemson, but even more so against BC, which shows kind of continued growth, Right, is we saw those things continue during the game. You know, we saw a lot of diversity within the play calls, whether it was, you know, early in the game, BC was clearly playing the run. Notre Dame knew they were going to be aggressive playing the run. Sure. So what do they do? They call a bootleg and it gets Avery Davis behind the linebackers. A bootleg doesn't work all that well to hit the drag. Now you can hit the crossing route and the, the slide route, maybe a comeback route off of a bootleg if a team is playing off. But if you call a bootleg and they're not coming downhill, you're not hitting that drag route. Well, they, they knew that BC was going to do that. BC is very aggressive with their linebackers. And 
that's how teams have defended Notre Dame. They get very aggressive with their linebackers. And it's and worked in the past, by the way. It has. It has. And so to make that call, we saw an angle route from – uh, you know, from from Kyron Williams, and right. of course he fumbled at the end of it. But that's a play that I've been looking for, and right. And and the thing that I like too is they BC was was kind of in a tough spot against Notre Dame in that they had success against the Notre Dame receivers when they came up and played man, and Notre Dame receivers had trouble getting separation. The problem was is in those man looks, Ian Book was killing them with his legs scrambles, you know, guys breaking off routes. Then when they would drop in zone, Ian Book was picking them apart. You know, I think yeah. of the third and 10 play uh, where he hits Avery Davis over the middle against a zone. So there was really nothing BC could do. And if it wasn't for fumbles, this game would have been even more convincing. You know, I predicted 37-17. So I thought Notre Dame would win convincingly. I said all week that I didn't think BC matched up very well against Notre Dame. And that was true. I thought BC played hard. I thought Jeff Halfley sure. had his team ready to play. I thought they battled, but Notre Dame was a better team. And right. so, and, and offensively, I just really felt like we saw aggressiveness. We didn't see them in the, in the second half. Here's the thing, too. There's got to be an awareness of your opponent. And what have we seen from BC in past games? They get down, they rally back. They came back against North Carolina. They came back against uh, Texas State. They've come back in several games. The, the, against Clemson, they showed an early explosiveness. This is a BC team that can get hot and score qu quickly. And instead of kind of saying, hey, we're up 15, we've got this lead, Notre Dame came out in the second half and kept their aggressiveness. You know, mm -hmm. they were up by three scores. They ran a reverse play. Uh, you know, and, and, and I just – I liked a lot of what I saw. We saw a fourth down jet sweep. Uh, you know, that was a, that was a call where if it doesn't work, everyone's like, Oh, what a terrible call. But it was also a thing where it's like, you've got great perimeter blockers at receiver and tight end. It's playing to your strengths for other teams. That would have been a stupid call for Notre Dame's personnel. When you've got great blocking receivers and, a, and really good perimeter blocking tight ends and a running back that runs a four, three, that's a great call. Yeah. So I just really liked his diversity. I, I it was combined with aggressiveness, but un, not unnecessary aggressiveness. So I really thought this was Tommy Reese's best game, and and more importantly, this was Ian Book's best game. I thought, look, against Clemson, I thought Ian Book made big time money plays. Sure. And when they needed him late, he 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 played great. But I also said there's a lot of things he needs to clean up. Uh, reads, decision-making, um, the fumble, you know, turning a ball over. There was just things that I felt he needed to clean up. I loved the way he played, but as a coach, there was things I'm going to sit in the film room and clean, clean up on. I don't know if there's a whole lot. There's like one or two reads like, ah, you know, maybe you should have hit Michael Mayer on the cross. But, but outside of that, it was, it was a clean game. It was an efficient game. It was a game where BC wasn't going to give him a lot of downfield shots, which was kind yeah. of interesting. Uh, so he didn't hit him. So what did he do? He tacked the middle of the field a lot more yeah. than we've seen, uh, which again is not an area of the field that we've seen him attack a whole lot. Well, you know, he doesn't. Yeah, yeah, he doesn't run a lot. Doesn't hit a lot of those deep in cuts, and he hit right. those multiple times in this game. So um, he's playing with a great deal of confidence right now. And you know, the thing I wrote about before the season when I did my quarterback preview is Ian Book's issue has never been about talent. And and that's something that I think people have misunderstood about my criticism of Ian Book is I've actually pushed back against the notion that physically he is what he is. He can't make this throw, can't make that throw. It's never been my issue with him. It's always right. been up here. 
And what we're seeing the last two weeks is we're seeing a confident EM book, we're seeing an aggressive EM book, and we're seeing an EM book that's playing at a different level than we've ever seen him play. And the big thing about this game, Vince, and you and I talked about this, could he take what he did against Clemson and build on it? Because against Pitt, we saw that aggressive get after him book. And then against Georgia Tech, he took a step back. You know, then against Clemson, he took a step forward. What would we see in week two? And against in week two after the big win over Clemson, we saw him play even better. Yeah. And, I mean, some of the plays he made with his legs were I, – I, were, were big time. And a perfect example, that, that play that I'm talking about where he hits, he hits Avery Davis on the deep end cut and ends up going for a 48-yard gain, gets him down in the red zone. The play before that on second and 10, he almost got sacked. But he was able to kind of fight off the sack and he throws the ball away. So instead of third and 19, it's third right, and 10 still. Right. You got a lot more in your – you know you, got, you were an offensive coordinator. I've called plays before. Your play sheet on third and 19 is a lot shorter than your, than your play sheet on third and 10. <laughs> um, and, and so just there's a lot of plays like that. It, that's partly why the red zone offense was more effective, was him making plays on the run, him throwing on the run. You know, the one touchdown to Ben Skoranek was him scrambling, Ben Skoranek right. breaking his route off yep, and getting outside. Yep. I thought the receivers did a great job there. So there just was a lot to like at that level, um, a lot to clean up. But I just really felt like from a coordinator play calling standpoint – and then from a quarterback execution standpoint, this Notre Dame football team can, can turn it over three times against a Power 5 opponent, including twice, two times those fumbles gave BC the football in Notre Dame territory. Right, right. And they still won convincingly because they've got talent, number one. And number two, when the quarterback is playing the way he did, you're going to need those turnovers and more in order to beat Notre Dame. And, and that's what really impressed me from the performance of, of obviously, Tommy Reese. Because I like to look at things from a coaching level. But also sure. just seeing Ian Book play that way. Now, again, the key is come out of the bye, we can keep doing that. Right, right, right. And that's right. what the great quarterbacks do. And he's got to continue to prove that. But if, if these last two games are an indication, he's on the verge of getting to that level. So let me, let me ask you a couple questions. Uh, everything that you just said, I had some questions swirling around in my head. Mm-hmm. It's the interview side of me here. Mm-hmm. So – you and I were both very critical of the Tommy Reese hire by Brian Kelly. Okay. For, for many reasons. And it wasn't really a direct hit on Tommy Reese himself. It was more the timing of it uh, in his career, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, things of that nature. Right. And it was, Mm -hmm. it was more Brian Kelly playing it safe Mm -hmm. with the hire. I think that, does that sum it up a little bit? Sure. Oh, sure. We're eight games in. And I realize this is not a finished product by any stretch of the imagination. Where do you stand on your opinion of that hire up to this point? And again, it's not a finished product. I'm sure. just curious as to where, where you're at right now. I'll tell you what, Vince, I'm going to briefly answer that, but let's make a note of that while I'm talking, because okay. I think that'll be a really good podcast for us to do during a bye week. Ooh, that's good. Okay. Yeah, Cause gotcha. I, I really want to focus on the BC aspect of this, but I'll say this. <sighs> My frustration that I get at times with people is, is, we, is, is a lot of people want to have arguments, big picture arguments in the moment based on current data. Sure. So if you're going to look at the last two games and say, this is why you're wrong about Tommy Reese or Ian Book, I'm saying, okay, well, where were you after the Louisville game? Yeah. You know, because that's part of the season too, right? Absolutely. And the yeah. reality is, is we're two-thirds, we're two-thirds of the way through the season. I would say the first third of the season, the, uh, uh, it was, this is why you don't make that hire. The last third, you know, you took the last four games, right, it includes Pitt, 
it includes uh, Clemson and includes Boston College. You got to say that's pretty good, right? It's a pretty sure. good job. And then now, but now we got to see what happens in the third quarter. Agree. So again, if if I say, oh, I was wrong, it was a great hire, and all these kind of things, Ian Book's the greatest quarterback ever to play at Notre Dame, and they go out and drop two of their next four games, then then you know changes completely. Changes no, completely. It'd be kind of like. Arguing about how good Notre Dame was last year before the Michigan game or going back to 2017 and saying, are we just going to evaluate that football team before Miami? Sure. You know, it's, it's no, an incomplete product. Uh, at the, by, the, by eight games into the, the Chip Long's first season, Notre Dame was averaging over 40 points a game, and they had played like five ranked opponents, right? Well, now three years later, everybody hates Chip Long apparently, and he was a terrible offensive coordinator, okay? So let's let it play out. Sure. I, I think what I've seen is what we expected to see. There's been some, there's been some uh, struggles at times because of an inexperienced coach. You know, we're talking about things that, that he did against BC that I really liked that didn't really, we haven't really seen until game seven or eight with, right. where it was the more experienced coach. Maybe we would have seen that against Louisville. Maybe we would have seen that against Duke. You know, maybe we would have seen that against, you know, Florida State. So instead of a great first half and then a terrible second half, maybe we would have seen a great four quarters. Right. So I, I think that it's like the great stretch we've seen does not, should not be diminished by the struggles of the past, right? At the same time, we can't forget about the struggles of the past and act like he's only being evaluated on, on these last two games. So Arrow pointing it's, this way. Arrow's definitely pointing out. Yeah. Definitely pointing out. Because like last week there were some things that I thought he did really well, but then I also thought in the second half they didn't really adjust well. Agreed. Well, some of the things that Clemson did to Notre Dame that they didn't adjust well to, BC tried to do. Now, part of the reason it didn't work for BC was because their players aren't as good as Clemson's players. But you can, as an evaluator, you can tell the difference between that play only worked because your dudes are better than their dudes, and that was a really good scheme to play. Sure. Against BC, things were working partly because their dudes were better than BC's dudes. But there's a there's always going to be some of that, right? I mean. You watch Clemson when they won the title in 2016. There were times during that season where it was like Deshaun Watson had to go make a play. I don't care what they called. I don't care how good of an offensive coordinator Tony Elliott was in 2018 with Trevor Lawrence. At some point in time, that guy's got to make a crazy play. Yeah, That's what he needed to do against Notre Dame in 2018. But at the same time, you can still evaluate and say, you know what, boy, that was – they put them in position to be successful. Against Clemson, he did a good job putting them in position to be successful, but there were some things you got to look back and say – you know, does that hurt them when Trevor Lawrence comes back or Mike or Tyler sure. Davis comes back or James Skolski comes back? But then to watch him build on that a week later against BC and not wait until BC hurts them before you implement those things, but, be, but take the fight to BC knowing they're going to do based on what you've seen them do on film. And then also understand how football coaches work. When football sure. coaches watch you struggle with something, they say, hey, they're they not good at that. Let's do that. Yeah, And to be prepared for that early in your game plan to then exploit that to say, hey, you may want to rethink this um, shows progress. Now, yeah. the yeah. problem is you're at the point of the season, Vince, where you can't afford to have a game where, boy, we should have probably done that differently. Let's do it differently next week because you're at There's the point now where <laughs> you could get away with three turnovers and a mistake here against, against BC. You're not going to do that against North Carolina. You, right. you may not even be able to do that against Wake Forest, and you're definitely not going to be able to get away with that in a rematch against Clemson. So uh, definitely trending in the right direction. But what was the argument? The argument at the time was, is this who you think is really going to lead you to a national championship? 
That was the standard. That was the whole point. It, it, I said time and time again, people like to forget this. I think Tommy Reese is very smart for his age, but very smart for his age doesn't equal national championship. And that's the standard. You've got five returning offensive linemen, a, a quarterback that everybody loves to talk about, how many games he's won and all this kind of stuff. You've got a great defensive coordinator. You've got a great strength program. You should be a team that's competing for a national championship. Sure. They got to still do that. And if they do that, then I'll gladly say, hey, I, I was wrong. And it doesn't have to be win it, but not lose it because his inexperience cost right. you a game. No, absolutely. They could go play Alabama and lose in the play, semifinal of the title game. And I'm going to say, you know what? That guy called, called a great game. Clemson in 2015. Clemson's coaches coached as well as they could have coached. Alabama just was the better team. I mean, yeah. just, you, you know, and, and there were times, you know, Clark Lee gave up 30 points and 500 yards to Clemson in 2018. And I still say, I think the guy did a great job getting that team ready to play. That team just had some dudes that were better than Notre Dame's dudes. And they had an injury that they couldn't afford to, to, to have that happened. Yeah, sure. So let's see how the game, how the season plays okay. out. But right. I do think, and I guess we talked enough about it now, we don't necessarily have to do that show, but I, I do think that we'll do sort of like a where do things stand, and we'll, that'll be a topic of conversation to dive into, maybe what we need to see from him in the next four games to, to really feel good about it. But, but I certainly think that if, if we're being fair and objective and not just poking holes in things to prove a previous thesis wrong, uh, there's been some growing pains from Tommy Reese which I don't are going to happen when you're 28, but what we're, what we're not seeing is the big steps back. Sure. And we're seeing a slow kind of progress and then occasionally oh, uh, didn't like that. And then, you know, and, uh, and that's going to happen, I think sure. Vince, uh, but it's the needle certainly moving up. And I, I think this game was an example too, because BC was playing to stop the run and, and, and to limit the big place. Mm-hmm. And so Notre Dame had to have counters to that. And they did. They attacked the middle of the field. When was the last time we've seen Notre Dame attack the middle of the wow. field multiple times in a game? And we don't yeah. we haven't seen that a whole lot. So, right, right, right. So that to me is a sign of, hey, we have a we had a game plan in place that if they were gonna take this away, we could come to this. And that's that, you know, looking at it from the Notre Dame point of view. And and they so they had that. Whereas if if they were thinking we're just gonna run the same stuff we ran against Clemson last week or you know, against Pitt two weeks ago and BC's doing something different to take this away and we're not, you know, you're not prepared for it, then, then of course, okay. Yeah. You, that's not good coaching. Cause coaching is saying, how do team, how, how is this team going to defend us? How do we think through our analysis of what they do and what we do and how teams have defended us and what we've had issues with, because that's partly great coaching. It's not just looking at the opponent saying, okay, they're not good there, 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 and there. So let's attack there, 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 and there. You also have to understand if they're not going to run the exact same game plan that they ran the week sure. before, especially with Jeff Halfley, who's a long, you know, been an NFL coach for a while, really good young coach. It's what do we think they're going to do to beat us? And Notre Dame clearly had a game plan against BC that anticipated the BC was going to do some things to them, and Notre Dame took advantage. That's good coaching. So yeah, it's definitely trending in the right direction. Um, but, but also the fact that they, they didn't just abandon the run either, you know, Ian right. books coming off a big game. They didn't just say, okay, let's ride Ian book for the rest of the sure. season. It was also, we're still going to run a ball or still going to be physical. So going to do those kind of things. Um, so, so I just, I thought it was a really well balanced game plan that put Ian book in position to be a playmaker, but also didn't say, okay, Ian, go win us the game. 
by throwing the ball 45 times and we're not going to run the ball this week. Does that make yeah. sense? Like no, kind of that yeah, balance. It's, it makes sense to it's me. manage it, but then go make some plays. Yeah. And well, I let, think let, he was able to do that. Let's talk about that playmaker a little bit, because I think one of the things that he did very, very well in this game was spreading the ball around to a lot of different guys. I, I was actually, and look, I knew Kyron Williams could catch the ball out of the backfield, but he caught those balls like a wide receiver. I mean, he caught it with well, his he hands. Was for, he's been a receiver for longer yeah. the last six years than he's been a running. No, no, no. I, I agree with you, but it was still refreshing to see mm-hmm. them get him out. You said he was on an arrow route and I, yeah. Yeah, an angle route. Um, they got him over the middle, I think, three different times. Early in the game. This is another example of attacking the middle of the field, Vince. They, they went empty, and they put him as the, the – so if they're like in a trip set, he was, he was the inside guy right yeah, here. And, the and they slot. isolated him on a linebacker, and he ran a deep in cut. Yeah, as a like normal in cut, you know, ten to twelve yard in cut. Sure, and it was obvious the way that Ian Book reacted post snap that that was the ISO they were looking for. Sure. Well, again, that was another example of a play over the middle of the field where they're going to isolate certain matchups. Yeah. Uh, to attack your opponent, so yep. we and we've started to slowly see this, and it really started against Pitt. You know, for the first five games of the year, I kept saying, "Good Lord, use the running backs more in the pass game." You know, and and there's still a couple concepts I'd like to see. You know, every time I see a running back running up a seam or on a wheel route, I'm like, I really think Chris Tyree could probably do that. Uh, but they're using Kyron Williams. You know, he was a target in the past game, and he caught what four balls, I think, three or four balls, and, four, and then yeah, didn't play yeah. the last quarter and a half of the game. You know, two quarters of the game. Well, he banged up, banged up, could have played, but they didn't, didn't need necessarily to. need him to, because yeah. Sebo was running hard and Chris Tyree sure. was playing well. But anyway, um. So yeah, it is good to see that, and 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 then and also Vince doing it in different ways that we haven't already seen. That's sure. the other thing. It's like the angle route, the the, the lining them up in the slot, and in the past they've been running them on corners and seems well. This time running them on an in cut where he's isolated against the linebacker. It's just there's some good stuff there. You know, we saw them not focusing on the tight ends as much, partly because BC was playing the tight end. So to your sure. point about spreading the ball around, Vince, I I think it's a great observation because, but it's not so much spreading the ball around as much as for me as it's why and how and what I mean by that is one of the knocks I've had on Ian Book a lot in the past is at the pre-snap he makes a decision I'm going here and that's it and at the snap that's where he goes yep and and what we saw against BC was it was spreading the ball around based off of what the defense is doing we haven't seen that as much from him in the past sure. and, no, and I agree. so to, to see him say, okay, they want to take Javon out of the game, then, then I'm going to beat you over the middle of the field. And then I thought they did some nice things. This is another example where I thought Tommy Reese did a nice job. They went empty, got Jordan Johnson on the field, put him on the outside, put Javon McKinley in the slot and ran yes. a route. We've been asking him to run for a while, ran a slant route, right? That was and, beautiful. And, but see, again, that's an example of where is BC not good? Their linebackers aren't great in coverage and their safeties aren't great. So where did Notre Dame attack all game? Middle where the field. linebackers and safeties <laughs> have to be guarding people, right? right? right. Um, and so, like, even uh, the second touchdown to Ben Skoranek, that was a – he was in a trips formation. They ran a goal line smash, and they had a misode on a safety. So there was just a lot of good stuff like that that we saw from this game. And, and that's what made it a fun game to watch and evaluate because – we saw the tight ends be part of what they're doing. We saw Skoranek in the red zone. It was clear that they were going to use him more in the red zone, which to me is how Ben Skoranek needs to play. Sure. And that is, and that is from the standpoint of he's a complementary player. He's not Jeff Samarja. 
He's not Will Fuller. He's not Michael Floyd. He is a guy that if you use him as a weapon and things he's good at, then he's going to thrive. Sure. And we saw that in this game. And then, you know, and then, and then BC was doing things to try to limit Javon McKinley's effectiveness. So what did they do? They started bringing him on crossing routes. They started putting him in the slot and running him, you know, against empty, running the slant route. So there was just so many different things meant to go to different players. And then we also saw Ian Book reading things out. It was clear a couple times that I thought, now you tell me if you agree with this, there was a few times that I saw Ian Book looking somewhere pre-snap. And I'm like, oh, that's where he's going. And it's a four on three and it's not going to work. And at the snap, he looked the exact opposite way. I, we don't see that a lot from Ian Book. Well, and, and that other, showed me here that yeah. that, that, there, that there, he was at a different level here than what we've seen, and that to me more than this pass or that run. We've seen him make plays like I've been saying this for two years now. Ian Book's problem is not physical. Never has it's been here, and and that's what I saw on Saturday more than anything else was that right there and seeing those things yeah well two things number one you talk about the physical attributes that throw that he made i think it was on a third down from the right hash all the way over to the left sideline uh to pick up that first down that was all arm strength Mm -hmm. and that's not an easy throw to make uh so that that shows you that he can throw the ball Mm -hmm. that's number one number two um oh man oh uh when you talk about him going through his progression so in the past when he holds on to the ball it, it feels like he's waiting for that read that he looked at in right. the first place to open up. And in this game, when he's sitting in the pocket, I'm like, and I, I, start, I start to relapse to, you know, that Ian Book. And I'm like, get rid of the ball. Mm-hmm. But he's actually going through his progressions. Mm-hmm. And then he finds a wide open, you know, uh, crosser if, if Davis down. on a crosser. Right. Or, right. Or, and it's not just a, a check down because he's afraid to go deep. It's because that's where it led him. That's where yeah. his progression did led Did it look him. to you like Avery Davis was the primary read on that third and 10? It did not look like no, that way to me. No, I don't me. think so. It no, did no, no, not no. look that way to me. And him sitting in the pocket and going through his reads was a sight to see because that yeah. has not been the case in the past. And he just looked, again, confident and comfortable, which is what we were looking for. Because remember, you asked me uh, in our preview podcast, what do I have to see from Ian Book to think that maybe he took that next step in the right direction? And I saw it. And, and again, it wasn't the, the passing yards. I mean, he had a good day uh, from a, uh, you know, a, a box standpoint, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, a stat standpoint. It was a good day. But that's – I could care less what he does in the stat box. I mean, that, that doesn't mm-hmm. matter to me. Is what I said. He was going through his progressions. He was comfortable. And then when he would take off, it was because, like you said, they were in man-to-man. They didn't have a spy on him. And so he was able to pick up all of those yards yeah. and forcing them to go into zone. And then he picked it apart. So – uh, he was in control that entire ball game. One of the things that Steve Berline brought up before the season, it's something that you and I have talked about too, is, is that we're seeing now for the third, I'd really say the fourth week in a row. Because even as critical as I was of him against Georgia Tech for not being aggressive, we did compliment him to say, hey, he looks different in the pocket though. Mm-hmm. Really starting with the pit game, we've seen a guy whose internal clock has slowed down. Yes, I agree. And, and, and a lot of people th- – a lot of times a, a, a quarterback needs to speed up his internal clock. I always thought Ian Book went through things too fast. It was one, two, three, four, five, run. <laughs> and that's where the happy feet come from. He starts looking at the pass rush yes. and all these different things. People like to use the word. Even when there feet. was no pass rush. Right. And, and it was just uh, – Steve Berline brought up that when, when anytime there was any kind of not clean pocket, his eyes would just go down. The thing that we've seen so much in the last 
four games now, and it was really on display against against Boston College, but it's been kind of trending his direction is even when he takes off and runs, it's it's later than it should be. Excuse me, it's later than it has been. Right, right. Not, not the problem is when you tuck it and run too soon, even if there's a hole, the linebackers are still kind of in the middle of the field chasing crossers or angle routes or whatever. And the safeties aren't fully into their drops, and so they can close and rally to the ball. It, it, really, the last four games, we're seeing Ian Book take off and run, and there's nobody near him. Nobody. Why? And he's, and he's also fast enough to outrun some of these guys that take bad angles. Right, but they're the taking angles from – you're not going to take a bad angle when you're five yards away from a guy. Right. So the fact that his internal clock is slowing down, which is allowing him to go through his progressions, get the ball out. These are the things that you know, people say, oh, you, you, some, I saw someone on Twitter, you, you owe Ian Book an apology. Why? For finally playing like the way that we've said he needs to play the last two years? This is, this is who he needed to be, and, and right. it's good. Let's just all enjoy the fact that he's actually doing it now. And, and, and get into this whole fan base eating each other up with, well, you said this and you said that. Look, this is what I said he needed to do, and now he's doing it. And, 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 and let's be honest, I predicted him to do it against Clemson, and I think he'd do it against BC. And, and to see him do it, you say, boy, this is now, this is how you feel. Like, this team's got a shot. If you can keep doing this, this team's got a shot to, to be something special. And that's, that's been the fun part about watching this team the last two weeks is, they, they're playing in a way where because the quarterback, and this is back to the original point, and then we'll, we'll move on to the, the, the defense here um, after this, but you mentioned the spreading the ball around thing. It is really hard. This is, this is the argument that I, that I made when early in the season when people were saying, well, the receivers aren't good enough. Well, I don't think the receivers are playing a whole lot different than they were early in the year for the most part. The difference is, is that the quarterback's now going through the reads and getting the ball where he needs to go. To yeah, sometimes exactly. they're covered, sometimes they're not. But when they are covered, he's just transitioning to the next decision, the next read, the crosser. He's hitting those, he's hitting those routes. Whereas before, it was rushing a crosser or, you know, I think of the interception he threw against Duke or going late to a crosser. Well, now it's covered. It's, it's just going through his reads so much cleaner now. And guess what? All of a sudden, the receivers are open. Hmm. Um, and, and this is what Brian Kelly said in defense. You know, I, I still think it's kind of insane that – you know, a bunch of receivers that have been on the team for three years couldn't figure it out, the, but the new whatever. Guys. Yeah, right, yeah. You know, um, you know but he, he did say, you know, there's just – they're not on the same page. And, and so I don't think there was – I think Javon McKinley is the only receiver that I've seen who's changed. And what I mean by that is Javon was just so up and down from an effort standpoint and a focus standpoint. Now it's like Javon now for, again, for four or five games in a row, Javon's just kind of bringing that same level of consistency from an execution standpoint, but he's not Chase Claypool. He's not a guy that's open every play, even when he's covered, he's open, you know? So, but he, he is playing at a, at a aggressiveness that you have to account for him. And then you have to account for Tommy Tremble. You have to account for Michael Mayer. You have to account for Ben Skoranek in certain ways. You have to account for Avery Davis now. You have to account for the backs out of the backfield to where, no, there's no, there's no Will Fuller on this team. There's no Michael Floyd on this team. There's no – there's not even – I mean, let's with all due respect to the tight ends who are really good, there's no Tyler Eifert on this team. They're not yet, anyway. Maybe in a couple of years Michael Mayer could be that guy, but right now in 2020 he's talented but not, you know, third, fourth year Tyler Eifert yet. Uh, there's no Chase Claypool on this team. But there's a depth of talent. Sure that allows them to say, hey, if you want to take this guy out of the game, fine. 
this guy's going to hurt you. That guy's going to hurt you. That guy's going to hurt you. That guy's going to hurt you. And so now we're not saying what I wrote an article, Vince, about about three weeks ago, where I said what we've seen this year from the Notre Dame pass game is we've seen everything they need to thrive. Do you, do you remember this? Mm-hmm. And it was we've seen Ian Book do this. We've seen Javon McKinley do this. We've seen Ben Skronik do this. The tight ends do this. The running backs do this. Avery Davis do this. The problem is they weren't ever doing it at the same time. Right. And right. if this if this past team offense, and I'm gonna I'll link the article at the at, at the the bottom of the podcast. If you see it on YouTube, it'll be down there. If you see it, uh, if you if you listen to this on on uh, on uh, on uh, as a podcast, you can find it in. Uh, you know, on the, on the website, the article, we'll put this article up on the website. We'll link it to the bottom, but it was, if this pass game can get all of those things on the same page that we've seen at different times, it could be really good. And what we've seen the last two games, Vince, and even more so against BC than against Clemson. And it was good against Clemson is it's all of that's coming together. And there's one reason it's coming all together. It's because the trigger man is starting to run the offense like a veteran Mm -hmm. that's the key Mm -hmm. and that is take what the defense gives you but also know when you got to make a play sure that's not an easy thing to to evaluate we saw the other quarterback at times didn't know the difference between that you know because he doesn't have that experience yet where he would try to force a play where ian book is saying okay it's not there i'm going to run or you know what i need this one so let's take this shot and so he's starting to play like a veteran and now all of a sudden this talent that everybody kept complaining, this receiver, that receiver, and, and I'll still say I would love it if they had a couple more weapons being worked into this equation. But, again, take, take what it is. Sure. You have to feel good about that because now it's just so much harder. If, if Notre Dame can play like they did against BC on offense and just get rid of the stinking fumbles – there's not a team on their schedule, including Clemson, that's going to be able to stop them. That doesn't mean they're going to win the games because those teams can score too. But this is a team that's going to – the offense is – you're not going to lose 30-3 to three if they play like this. Sure. No, I agree it, with that. It'll be more like what we saw from Clemson in 2015 where, you know, Alabama beat them, but Alabama had to score a lot of points to beat them. Sure. Uh, you know, we've seen that in the playoffs, you know, last year against LSU and Clemson. And I'm not saying Notre Dame's as good as LSU last year. Not even close. No. Uh, but they're also a lot better. Best offense ever. They're also a lot better on defense than that LSU team was. But the point is, they're not, if they play like this, they're not going to lose games because the offense lacked talent or uh, did those kind of things. And I think that's my biggest takeaway from this game offensively is we saw what this offense is supposed to look like when the trigger man is doing mm-hmm. what he needs to do. Now we've seen Ian book do this in the past, right? The complaint always was, it was always against Navy Bowling Green, right? It was yeah. Duke four and eight Stanford. The difference between what Ian book then and Ian book now is he's now doing it against Clemson. Right. And BC mm-hmm. and BC's five and four, but that's a good five and four. That's a five and four that includes you had a chance to tie it against North Carolina at the end of the game. You had a chance to go beat Clemson at the end of the game, right? The only bad game they've had was against Virginia Tech. And, and Notre Dame smacked them around pretty good. It was not – about midway through the second quarter, you started saying, BC's got no chance. Like early first quarter, it's like, ooh, <laughs> it's getting a little hairy. But by the middle of the second quarter – 
really after they made a stop on 24 to 16 at that point in time, Vince, I kind of felt like, I don't know how, I don't know what the final is going to be, but Notre Dame's not losing this game. No, I agreed. And I, I think one of the things we need to touch on before we move over to the defense is the difference in the red zone play from last game to this game. And I, I pulled out a stat at halftime that I put on our message board at irishbreakdown.com, our game day message board. And I said, you know, Notre Dame scored on five of their seven drives and Boston College has actually scored on four of six of their first half drives. The difference was the Boston College opened with a touchdown followed by all field goals, mm-hmm. while Notre Dame opened with a field goal followed by all right. touchdowns. And, and that was the difference yeah. in the first half. And when, yeah. once we hit halftime, there was no doubt as to who was going to win this game. Yeah. I, I think the thing for me when I look at the red zone is, so first of all, Notre Dame went seven of eight, I think, in the red zone, total scores, and six of eight of touchdowns. But those, those, that last eight include, was the final drive of the game where they took a knee. So the reality is, is they were, they were seven perfect. for seven were and then six the for seven zone. on touchdowns. Right. And there's two things that factored into it. And, and I'm going to dive into the film a little bit more. I'm going to try to have an article this week is, is what we saw adjustments in this game was number one, they were a little bit more prone to run it, mm-hmm. which then set up some other things. Sure. I think we also are seeing that they're, they're 15 to like 12 to 20 pass concepts still need work. And we, we saw that against, against BC, even in this game. There's still some adjustments that need to get made from that 12 to 20 zone. But what we saw on Saturday is when you get into that kind of 12 to 5 zone, we saw more red zone concepts. Mm-hmm. We saw the fade Rug route to Ben Skoranek. Fade routes. Um, and yeah. we, mm-hmm. we saw the smash con- – the, 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 the goal line smash concept with the two outside guys running ends and then the corner route where you get your six, three and a half, you know, long-armed – experienced veteran receiver on a corner route and it doesn't have to be a great ball and he's going to go make a play and that's he exactly was wide open anyway yeah right and and so uh and they and the other thing too is they had some big plays that got them short fields i mean three of their red zone drive started inside the five so they had the they had the uh 48 yard gain to, to avery davis in the middle we talked about where he got tackled at the two we you know notre dame gets the ball at the two on first down as long as you don't call four straight pass plays they're scoring. Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. another drive was, uh, again, it was just Ian Books. The defense dropped like, I think, seven deep in the cupboard. So he just dropped, gets back, and little slide route to Sebo to, to Flemister, which, again, was another adjustment. We saw some, we saw some empty concepts. Again, mm-hmm. this is something we've been talking about. Mix up. Don't always just go seven-man protection or six-man protections. Throw some empties out there. Right. We saw that. We saw the angle route to Kyron Williams was an example of that. We saw the slide route to Sebo Flemister, quick check release slide route to Sebo Flemister. Now, all of a sudden, they drop, and you just check it down, and it's the easiest 26-yard passing play you're ever going to have in your, your entire life. Sure. Uh, and that set up first and goal to one. And another, uh, uh, I think it was an Ian Book run that got him at like, to around like the five. Mm-hmm. When Notre Dame gets there on first down, they're, they're – They've been, that's where they've been successful in the red zone in the past. Sure. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. when they get stalled, and I'm going to do some research on this to back up if I'm right or wrong on this, but my feeling has been that when they stall, it's like in that 12 to 20 zone when they're still trying to run their base offense pass concepts. Inside the red zone, yeah. So I'm going to do some research on that this week and really dive into it. I may be wrong, but that's kind of been my feeling. And sure. on Saturday against BC, we saw them getting the ball deeper into the red zone and, and then being able to make plays. 
and, and I think that that was a big part of of what was effective. And then of course Ian Book made some plays with his legs, you know, scrambling yeah. around. One where he hits, I think it was Javon McKinley on one. Another red zone touchdown was a scramble where Ben Skoranek does a great job one. of breaking it off. That one was great. It's, yeah, and, and that's why something the receivers did a really nice job of, and I think I think he talked about this after the game. They were doing a really good job of working back to him when he would take off run it. And then but part why are they doing that though? Part of that is because of the fact that he has been so more willing to throw when he runs, where in the past, once he started it running, just, it was just he was gonna run. Yep. So they just the receivers you, you could see it. Ian Book would start to look to pass early in the year, and the receivers were blocking. <laughs> right, because they knew. Right. <laughs> And then he's like, you know, oh, I wanted to throw. Well, you, you never do, so we just block. Right. But now, because he started to make some of those plays, you're starting to see the receivers keep working when he starts running. Sure. And it's the results that we saw against Clemson last week. We saw it against BC. Now the receivers know, keep working, he's going to find you. And we've seen several plays like that where Agreed. he's been able to make those plays. And that's where that can really be big is in the red zone. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was big in the red zone. So – those those are some things too because at the end of the day, Vince, I don't care how good of a play caller you are, you need guys to make plays. Absolutely. And, and this is what I've said is I think I think where I have been most impressed with Tommy Reese, and if we're being fair, this is a big thing for me. I think Tommy Reese has got a lot to learn still about in-game coordinating. Where I've been impressed, however, is and this has really been all year, but especially in the last four or five games is even when I haven't loved the game plan, you can see a team that's mentally ready to play that doesn't beat itself a whole lot. And the funny thing is this last game was the most they've done to beat themselves in the entire season. Yeah. No, you're right about but that. But they were so good in the other areas that it didn't matter as much. Uh, against this team, again, you play a better right. team. You know, you play North Carolina with Deami Brown and Daz Newsom and Michael Carter and Javante Williams and Sam Howe. You turn the ball over three times and give North Carolina two fields. And, you know, you're, we're going to have a different, you know, outcome sure. or at least a more competitive game. But – this team is just – it's like they're locked in. And leadership from a player standpoint can only take you so far. Mm-hmm. We've said this in the past as a criticism of Brian Kelly and his staff, where the leadership is good, but at the same time, the coaches have to match that level of leadership. And, and I think this group, for whatever reason, I think the chemistry of the staff, what, I don't know what it is. We're not there. But this team – even when they're not playing well from an, a from a maybe I didn't love that play call or they didn't execute that at a, at a level. We've seen a, a consistency Vince from, from a, there hasn't been a game yet where I'm like, that team wasn't ready to play physical football. Right. Even the Louisville game, it was, it was a terribly executed game plan and it wasn't a very well designed game plan. The reason they won is because they played hard for 60 minutes they're still playing hard but now those other areas are catching up and now we're seeing Notre Dame has scored over 40 points in three of their last four games well speaking of speaking of giving up points um and I still think that this defense is very very good for Notre Dame and we're going to talk about it um this is the first time that Notre Dame's given up back-to-back 30 point uh ball games since what the end of the 2016 Mm -hmm. season and Without context, you look at that and you're like, whoa, what? what <laughs> Anytime you compare on? anything to 2016, it's not a positive. Yeah. So, again, without context, <laughs> this is a huge issue. But, I, again, I mentioned at the beginning, and, and this is just part of the context, that 
You know, BC scored late in the game. This should have been a three-touchdown game. They scored late on the twos. Uh, and, and frankly, and one of the things I did like uh, was that Notre Dame started sprinkling in some of their backups early in the second half. Uh, and, and I early to mid-third quarter, or mid-third quarter, I should say, uh, is when I think I started seeing Isaiah Pryor on the field, uh, started seeing a couple of other guys. But anyway, I like that. And if you're going to give up a few points and some yards, but you're going to get some guys some experience, I'm fine with that. But let, let's put the defense in perspective here going into the bye week. Well, the perspective is they haven't played great football the last two weeks. I mean, I think we can admit that and still say I'm not freaking out about it because a couple things is, number one, this is a defense that's tired. And we're praising the offense for how great it's been the last couple of weeks, but the defense had to carry this football team for much of the first five games Most of the year. Of I mean, let's, let's be honest it. about that. Um, I think it's a unit that's, that's tired. I think it's, in a, it's a unit that has, has gone through a lot of ups and downs players being out um and i just think that that's factored into it but here's another thing that's factored into it the last two quarterbacks they've played are really freaking good and and there were plays that that phil jacovic made against notre dame on saturday where you say how do you coach that do you really think there's a scout team quarterback on Notre Dame that can do what Phil Jacob? You, well, you know what I mean? So it's there like there used to be. Well, it was Phil Jacob. Yeah. <laughs> um, like there was a play where Kyle Hamilton kind of flatfoots. Jerkovic's scrambling and Kyle Hamilton flatfoots. He he flatfoots like 25, 30 yards downfield, and he just throws it over his head. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, yeah, you coach it up and you fix it, but it, sometimes you just got to say that's a hell of a play. Yeah, uh, there was a play that Sean Crawford got beat, and it was a it was a post route. He threw it kind of backside to to Jalen Gill, where Jerkovic looked him off to the left and just used. He saw Crawford reading him. He just looked him off, and Crawford bit, and he came back and he threw the post behind it. Sometimes, you, sometimes look when you play good teams and you play talented players, and Phil Jerkovic's a talented player. You're not going to keep him from making plays. He's right. going to make plays. Sure, 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 sure. And and he made plays on Saturday, and, and we and, knew he was going to make plays. Right, by and the way. and to me, they do need to limit how many big plays they're giving up because it wasn't just this week, and it wasn't just against Clemson. We saw it against Georgia Tech a little bit. We saw it against Pitt a couple of times. You know, we saw it in some other games where you say, you know, you gotta, you gotta, you're giving up too many big plays in the pass game, and it's resulting yeah. in teams getting more points than they otherwise should. And so, uh, I thought overall they did a pretty good job of of even when he made big, big plays, he couldn't build on those big plays. So, like, one big play wasn't followed by another big play. Um, they were able to force mistakes, not just by him, but by other players. They were able to, to do what we talked about. Sometimes, you know, they're showing blitz and they drop the line. He threw twice. He threw right to a linebacker because they were showing blitz and then they would drop underneath him. Uh, those are things you do to a young quarterback, uh, especially a young quarterback who doesn't have some of the weapons that, that the quarterback at sure. Clemson was working with. So, um <laughs> So I think I think they did a job. They they did a good job harassing him. And you know, one of my complaints and my key takeaways was, you know, the defensive line's got to got to do a little better job closing with sacks. But you know, I've watched every game Boston College has played this year. There's a lot of defensive line coaches are saying after playing BC, we gotta we gotta make a sack there, and they didn't. Um, he just and, gets out of him, man. He's a big right, dude. That's a right. thing. He's a well, big both dude. of the quarterbacks did that on Saturday. He's a big yeah, guy. He's a elusive true. guy. He's a tough kid, and yeah. and he's just going to make those kind of plays. But they still, you know, he still went like eighteen for forty something. He had like five or six throwaways. He had three or four drops. 
you know, but, but you're going to give up big plays to him. I think the, the, my concern was there was a lot of mental mistakes we saw on Saturday. We saw Shane Simon making some mental mistakes. We saw the safeties making some mental mistakes. We started seeing them make uncharacteristic mental mistakes. That, to me, is the first that's, sign that yeah, they're tired. That, yep, I agree. And emotionally and physically tired. Sure. And so I say this this bye week is coming. I would not want to be going to play North Carolina right now with three days of practice. Well, and 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 this is this is finals week for Notre Dame. Yeah, which which is different perfect than normal. For I mean, this is yeah, this yeah. is the absolute perfect time for a bye week because if you're right, if they were playing North Carolina this week, uh, and and we saw the defense performance, and you're right, yeah. the mental mistakes, and they had finals on top of it. Yeah, it's just it's a banged up football team that that makes a lot of plays. And, and that's the thing is they gave up a lot of plays against BC, but you know, they made a lot of plays too. You know, sure. Sean Crawford made some big plays. I thought the, look, you know, I said, like, I didn't think they were second quarter, late second quarter. I was like, yeah, they're not going to lose that game. But mm-hmm. if BC takes that opening drive right down the field, gets inside the 10 yard line, if they score there, it's 30, 31 to 23. Maybe I wouldn't have, you know, been as confident and they get to a fourth and one i didn't love the play call by bc but at the same time Bad. um they called what they called and notre dame had to stop it and you see my tongue of Aloha step up and fly off the ball and make a play and then you see drew white fill that gap and they eat it up and bc has no chance and you know when you when you see that and then you see sean crawford making a tackle behind the line you see dalen hayes making plays you see jack kaiser stepping in and making a big play bo bauer had a couple huge plays mm-hmm. in the game on third down you know, yeah, they were sloppy. There's a lot to clean up. There's things they got to fix. They need to breathe and they need to rest. But at the same time, you got to like the fact that this team still makes plays, you know, and and they get their legs back underneath them from the bye week. They clean up some of this stuff because there are definitely things that need to get cleaned up. It's the, the, the solution to fixing this team to make sure they make a title run is not just give them a week off and they'll be fine. There's things that do need to be corrected on both sides of the ball, but there's playmakers on both sides of the ball. And we saw that on Saturday. They gave up plays because that other team had some playmakers too, especially a quarterback. But Notre Dame's quarterback was making – made even more plays. And then Notre Dame's defense made even right. more plays. And and that's what makes this team good is they have – you know, they, a lot of people use the expression game wreckers, game changers. And, and what we're finding is that Notre Dame has a lot more of those this year than maybe they've had in the past where – Agreed. You know, you take a guy like Drew Tranquil, for example. Drew Tranquil was a really good football player. Drew Tranquil was, a, I'm going to do my job better than you on every single snap kind of guy. Drew Tranquil was not often a, I'm going to take over a game kind of guy. <clears throat> We've seen that from Jeremiah Wusu Kormo this year. But here's the other thing that we're seeing that Jeremiah Wusu Kormo didn't have a tackle on Saturday. Do you know why? Because <laughs> Boston College avoided near. him like the yeah. plague. That's right. They didn't you go know, and, and so that sets up opportunities for other guys to make plays. So that creates opportunities for Sean Crawford to make a lot of plays. He had one heck of a pass like breakup, though, I'll tell you that. Yeah, well, that was an underthrown ball, too. But you know what I love Still. about that play? If the ball was underthrown, but if he throws it deep, you had Kyle Hamilton closing, that was going to have to be a perfect ball to be completed. Yeah. And that's the thing is the margin for error for Notre Dame used to be really thin. Now the margin for error for the teams Notre Dame is playing, including Clemson. It's really thin. Yeah, and if you don't play your best game, you can't beat Notre Dame. Absolutely, that's what we've seen. Um, at least the way they're playing now. Again, if if Notre Dame would have played Saturday like they played against Louisville or Duke or even Florida State, Notre Dame's got an L or two on their docket. Sure, yeah, but no, they're I progressing agree. as the season goes on. They're not making the same mistakes they made in September and early October, and that's what you want to see. Do you want to be a team that starts off twenty seventeen? 
as good as this team is through eight games, the 2017 team through eight games was, was way better on offense. You know, that was a team that was averaging over 40 points a game, almost 500 yards a game. They were doing, you know, 49 points against a really good USC team, 38 points, including seven on a defensive touchdown against a top 15, 10-win Michigan State team. You know, you scored 35 points, 28 on offense against a really good NC State team. I mean, you were blasting good teams. But you could start to see some of the chinks in the armor as you got deeper into the season. And then, of course, they faded late. And I feel like this Notre Dame team is kind of going in a different direction where they scuffled early, and now they're starting to peak a little bit offensively. The question is going to be coming out of the bye week, and again, we'll talk about it more in the week, is can they, can they now get the two parts of their team on the same page? Can, right. can they play in, in the end of November, December, and into the postseason offensively the way they've played the last few weeks? But can they get the defense back to where it was the first five, six games of the year? Right. That's going to be the, the key because I'll say about the team, like I've said about the past game against BC, we saw this where – and but this is the, the mark of a good team, and this is something else we saw from BC is when the offense stunk against Louisville, the defense said, we got you. We got you, right? When the offense was struggling early against, against BC with turnovers, the defense said, hey, we, we got you. And they made some big stops. You know, I think of – what happens, Notre Dame's down 7-3, second possession of the game. They fumble the ball. BC recovers at the 19-yard line. BC had just scored like, like, like it was nothing. They just went through Notre Dame like they were nothing. Yeah, they did. And the defense steps up, I think it was three and out, I think, and forces a punt or a field goal. A field goal, oh, yeah. 10-3 looks a whole lot different than 14-3. Oh, Absolutely. And and then there was another you know we talked another time where the, where the offense fumbles and then the defense gets it right back you know and so but then when the defense started to kind of falter the offense stepped up and said hey we we, we got you that's what a great team is going to do I mean I think of the 2016 Clemson team that won the national championship they gave up 40 some points in a game to Pitt right I mean you're going to have and that was a great defense you're going to have games where you don't bring your A game. And the question that I'm going to have for Notre Dame is, can they get those two on the same page? Sure. And can they figure out some of these – somebody's going to get eventually get an onside kick without committing a penalty. Notre Dame's <laughs> lost three onside kicks this year, and they've all been negated by penalties. Now, part of that is, well, they're getting them because they're committing penalties. But the other but part still, of that is, what if an officiating crew doesn't call it next time? Right. You know, they got to figure some stuff out. Although I did love Bo Bauer's fair catch. That's why he got special teams player of the game for me. But – and I know I've been kind of rambling a lot in this episode, but like there's just a lot about this team right now that we're seeing where it's like, boy, if they can just make a couple little minor twi- sure. t- you know, changes and just get things on the same page, this team's got a chance to be really good. Yeah, no, I agree. Which is why I wrote an article a few weeks ago, like I said, about the pass game. Even though pass game was terrible, I said, yeah, it's been bad so far, but, you know, but, I'm, but I like this and I like this. And if they can get it all together, it can be really good. And we're seeing that now. Yeah. And I feel that about this team, Vince, is – the defense has got all the tools to be successful. They just they got a couple little sure. things they got to clean up and, you know, get this time off and get back to it. But um, BC is a good football team. No doubt. BC battled hard. but and They're the only going to get better. And they're only going to get better. And I yeah. really like Jeff Halfley as a coach. Well, I, I was going to bring this up a little bit later, but uh, he, he has a firm place on my short list. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. for sure, if I'm an AD. 
And, you know, and, and the other thing for me too, Vince, is what I like about this football team, and we saw it on Saturday, is you are not going to out-physical Notre Dame. You may Somebody may beat Notre Dame. Well, we haven't been able to say that right. in a long time. Not consistently. Right. Not week after week after And week. on both sides of the ball. Right. Because the that hasn't time, been the case. The last time for me that we could say that was 2012. And, and But that team, to me, doesn't have the overall top-to-bottom talent. Correct. Th- that team may have had a better top – like the, the top five players on the 2012 Notre Dame team were, was unreal. I mean, you're, you're talking about – Zach Martin, Manti Teo, Tyler Eifert, Stephon Tuitt. You know, I mean, that was a – at the very top, that was a really good football team. But, you know, kind of 10 through 30 doesn't even come close to this football team. Right. This football team has such great depth of talent, but it's a physically and mentally tough team. And, and you saw that the last two weeks. These last two weeks were battles. I mean, physical battles. I mean, there was a lot of chippiness in this game, which is always the case with BC. Yeah, lots of unsportsmanlike um, conduct penalties. Yeah, and, and that's some of the stuff you got to clean up. You know, sure. I, I really liked, you know, Adi Ogundiji. Again, the show's leadership after the game was asked about that. You were listening. And he said, and they were like, you know, it's almost like they were the, the questioner was trying to get him to be like, yeah, we, we wanted to play with that edge. And he was like, nah, that's not us. You know, like we we know that there's a level, we know there's a line, and, and we cross it a little bit, and that's not okay. But it's like, but they weren't going back down. Right. That's, that's the thing is like they weren't going back down from BC. And mm-hmm. you want to get in our face here. I'm going to get in your face, but here's the difference: I'm better than you. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, yeah. So, um, uh, you know, you you clean some of that stuff up, but but at the same time, you like that fight, and that's the thing I think I take out of this game is. As a coach, Vince, there's a lot I need to clean up as a coach. There's things I need to look at myself and say, I'm sure if Tommy Reese is the coach that, that he needs to be, he's going to look at this game and say, yeah, we did good, but, man, I, I wish I could have this call back. I wish I would have done that different. And then you apply that next time. Clark, sure. I think all the great coaches do that. You know, but, but the, the thing about this team is, is you're seeing a level of consistency from a fight and a toughness standpoint. And I think that's what's allowed them to kind of not be the perfect team. By right. any stretch of the imagination, but they're still – perfect in regards that they're eight no no i'm gonna have an article coming up this week uh during the bye week where i'm going to kind of compare where the teams were at eight no in 2012 2018 and now and now uh 2020 and and see where they are and then i'll have some stuff coming up where we talk about you know what what we've talked about things that need to change and we'll have stuff on that but just look bringing it back to bc as we put a bow on this uh longer episode than it probably should have been but you asked me couple questions that kind of got me got me rolling it's like you know pulled the string and just let me go um (laughs) i think i think what we took out of this game vince was this is a team that's still not like i had somebody tell me uh text me and and they meant it as a compliment and someone agreed they're peaking at the right time and i said i don't think they've peaked yet i don't think they're even close to peaking yet and that's the that's the exciting thing. Sure, absolutely. Now, what we don't know is if they're going to peak. Can they peak? Yeah, exactly. We don't know that. Is this the peak? Yeah. Well, is this the peak from an execution standpoint? Correct. My, my, you know, I don't know if they can play a lot better physically. It's the mental stuff that still needs sure. to get corrected. You know, the the tech, the fumbles, the stuff that you can clean up. It's not like, hey, I need Ian Book to physically do this, or I need you know Liam Eikenberg to physically do this different. And you know, they are what they are from that sure. standpoint. But it's cleaning up that other stuff. And, and so that's the takeaway is this football team is still got a lot of work to do. Sure. But that lot of work to do is coming after 
a convincing win over a good Boston College team, uh, a, a, a really good win over a Clemson team where you're like, they probably should have won that game by 20. I mean, think about that. Th- let's be honest about that. They should have beat Clemson far more convincingly if oh, they didn't make a lot of mistakes. No doubt. So to have that be the reality where it wasn't that long ago where, you know, you could say, boy, they, they played as well as they could and they still couldn't win. And, and here's the difference. Here's the other thing, Vince. I'll finish up with this. We haven't seen that Miami 2017 game where Michigan last year, I could point to several games like that. I'm not going to do that. Where you're just like, how are they not ready to play this game? Right. We haven't seen that from this team. And I don't think we will, but we haven't seen that. And I think the BC game was a potential for that. But with the bye week coming up and Phil Jacobic being on the sidelines, I didn't think we'd see it. But so far that's a good sign that we haven't seen that yet. Um. Uh, so that that's that's kind of that final takeaway for me. From no, absolutely. Games. We're seeing a, a much greater level of consistency from an effort, a toughness, and a physicality standpoint. Yep. And that's why I think this team is able to keep winning so far. Yeah. So Notre Dame's heading into the bye week and a much needed bye week defensively, as you just pointed out. And I think I'm it's tired. Needed. I need a bye week. Well, I can imagine what their well, the players and coaches are feeling. Brian, you may need a bye week, but you're not going to get one. <laughs> that's true. Because of all the stuff that's going to be on IrishBreakdown.com. And I'll let you kind of uh, outline what we have in store over the next week before we get back into our normal weekly prep. Yeah, so, I mean, we've got a lot going on. I'm going to have a lot of – we'll put a bow on some of this Clemson stuff You know, have the grades out tomorrow. We'll have our normal bowl projections or, you know, a WSBT article on Wednesday and midweek musing. So, we'll have some of that normal stuff. But, well, I'm going to take a lot of looks at this week is, number one, how we got here. Uh, you know, what this team – who this team is, where this team is good, where this team needs to improve in order to, to keep doing what they've been doing the first two quarters, two, two-thirds of the season and the final third. Because you really mm-hmm. – they have four games left. You know, right. you're, you're played eight so far. You have three regular seasons plus the ACC title game. And so the expectation is that they're going to get there, right? That's the expectation. So they're, 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 this final third and, and what do they have to do to get there? You know, just looking at some of the different notes of different articles that we're going to focus on. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dive into the red zone, try to crunch some numbers in that regards. Um, you know, just kind of comparing the 2012, 2018, and 2020 teams at the same time of the season. Um, and I'm talking about, is this like the best, you know, comparing this stretch of football to others, um, you know, kind of looking ahead at Notre Dame opponents, you know, keys to the stretch run, what, what offensively they got to keep doing defensively, uh, you know, and then, and then the, the offense getting hot and what they can do to continue that. And then, of course, what are some things on defense that need to be corrected beyond getting your legs back underneath you? Because there are some things. So we'll have a lot of that kind of stuff. And then, of course, uh, a lot more recruiting stuff this week. So have some analysis of recruiting this week. Going to take a look at some early 2022 players that I think Notre Dame really needs to take advantage of uh, this start to get some uh, or some 2021 guys out there that I think Notre Dame has a chance to close on that could take this class to the next level. Right now, this recruiting class is good. It's kind of in that 10 to 15 range that a lot of Notre Dame's classes are in. There's two or three guys still out there that if Notre Dame can – 
pull off a flip and come from behind and land another guy could kind of take this class into that next level. And that's something you have to do on a recruiting trail to build on this kind of success. We haven't seen Notre Dame always do that in the past after big years. So, uh, you know, can they have that kind of class, you know, uh, get a couple of those guys. And then of course, use it to springboard into a great 2022 class. So I have some more stuff about that. Uh, women's basketball team just signed uh, two stud guards uh, for the 2021 class. I'll have an article about that. Uh, I, I got a little nervous after like Olivia miles didn't sign right away, Vince. So I was like, is, is she not going to sign? She's a top 10 point guard. Uh, and so we'll have a little bit about that. So we got a lot going on this week. Um, but we'll kind of got their first be, game coming up good, here. Yeah. I know, it's good, crazy. It, it's going to be it's noon. Crazy. That'd be a nice, you know, uh, springboard into the Notre Dame game. Yeah. They, they play at noon and then Notre Dame plays at three 30. That's going to be what on I'm talking about the day after Thanksgiving. On Good Friday, yeah. That's going to be a lot of fun, and I don't. I'm going to be stuck in the house because I hate being on out Black in Friday. public on Black Friday. So I just I'd never leave my home on Black Friday. Uh, so I've got be perfect five straight hours of radio, so I won't be leaving the house either. <laughs> yeah, so we got a lot going on, a lot of big picture stuff this week since uh, there's not a game to prepare for, and of course we'll right. have some game predictions. There's as long as there's no cancellations, there's going to be some really fun and exciting games on this weekend. Ohio State, Indiana play. Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. Um, Did you ever thought uh, you'd say that? Ohio uh, State, Indiana is a game you're no, looking forward to? No, no, <laughs> no, no. Okay, just making uh, sure. No. I want to see if Rutgers can beat Michigan. I really want to see if that can happen. I would love for that to happen, uh, that'd be, by the that'd way. That would be phenomenal. Different It would be so great. It would be yeah. so great. And then, you know, that would be <laughs> so much fun. So, anyway, a uh, lot going on. Thank you guys yeah. for staying with us. I know this was a long podcast. I got a little long-winded on some of this stuff, but – it's there's just a lot going on to to kind of figure out how good this team can really be there's a lot sure. to be excited about um but there's also stuff to clean up and i'm and i'll be honest when i say that please hear me that's not a criticism that's exactly where you want to be as a coach when yep. you've still got four games to play and you, you don't want to say no we're playing as good as we can and i hope we can continue the next four games because here's the thing you're not yeah <laughs> unless you've got bama talent you know or ohio state a couple of years ago what 2015 talent um uh, you know you need to be peaking as you kind of go into the postseason and this is not a notre dame football team that has peaked and that's a good thing now the question now is what needs to get corrected and can they do it? So sure. uh, we're going to focus on a lot of that stuff this week and really dive into the film and, and see if we can find some things that maybe we missed as we had to quickly move on and transition to the next opponent. So appreciate your, your patience with that. And Vince, I know your patience with that too, because you know, I saw you a couple of times like, <clears throat> <laughs> so, but, but just an exciting time to be a Notre Dame fan. And, and of course, we're happy that all of you are, are a part of the Irish Breakdown community. We've had Absolutely. two phenomenal weeks in a row. Uh, as far as engagement, we just transitioned over to a new uh, a new uh, program with our site, so it's got a different look and feel, which I think is really nice and sharp. Uh, a lot of things going on in that regard. So, um, you know, we're trying to finalize some contract things with another part of our podcast. We got a couple other things that we're working on. So, there's a lot going on at Irish Breakdown beyond just what's what's going on at the Notre Dame football field. But I'll tell you what, it's a lot more fun to do that stuff when you're getting to watch a football team that goes no. out there and gets it done every week no and, and plays with, as a coach, you like those teams to play hard. Sure. Absolutely. And I think especially Notre Dame fans more than a lot of other fan bases. I think a lot of fan bases like skill and speed. And I think Notre Dame fans like that, but I think the best way to get into the heart of a Notre Dame fan for the most part, especially the older folks like me are those teams that just 
we're gonna it's it's gonna be a brawl. Yeah, man. You know, you may beat us, but you're gonna have to, you know, you're gonna have to knock us out to do it. Cause we're yeah. gonna as long as we're conscious, we're gonna fight, 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 mm. fight, and fight. And that's what I think this team does. They're not always pretty. They're not always sloppy. They don't have the elite talent on this team that maybe they've had in past teams. But I don't know if we've seen a Notre Dame team that top to bottom just corners hit, safeties hit, receivers block hard. I mean, you've got your quarterback that's running. I'm like, Ian, slide, please. Your backup's got no. played eight plays in his career. Yeah. You're going to run over it, dude. Yes. But yeah. it's just who he is, you know, and it's just like you, you love that fight. You know, Kyron Williams basically playing until his body stops working. And <laughs> you, you got to like that. No, stop fumbling, make better reads, wrap up, take a better angle. You got to feel better there. All those kind of things are happening. But, and this is a team that you just, they they play to their to their mascot. Mm-hmm. They they fight. This is an Irish football team that fights, and that's what makes it fun. And that's why, you know, I was kind of fired up about this podcast is because I break down. If I'm like, gosh, I like watching this football team play. Because as a football coach, that's what you want. You know, because I can clean up the technical stuff. I can I can make better calls in the red zone if you're Tommy Reese or Clark Lee. If I know my team's going to give me everything they got and they're going to lay it all out there, you know, we're going to be all right. And that's where I think this football yeah. team is. So that's why I got a little long-winded today. I just got done watching some film. I was fired up again. And that's where we're at. <laughs> hey, it's all good, man. We Thanks, everybody, for joining us. We appreciate it. Make sure you stay locked in to Irish Breakdown because it is a bye week for the football team, but not for <laughs> us at Irish Breakdown. So stay locked in, and we will talk to you next time.